Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Over the weekend, largely peaceful protests in Los Angeles, Oakland, and Sacramento turned violent. The protests were meant to show solidarity with social justice demonstrations in Portland, where authorities and protesters have clashed for weeks. Arrests were made in all three California cities. In Oakland, police say some of the protesters broke off from larger groups to light fires, break windows, and spray graffiti. Oakland Mayor Libby Schaaf warned protesters that acts of vandalism could be used by the Trump administration as a pretext to send federal agents to the city. Let's turn to state government. California legislators returned to Sacramento today after taking an extended summer recess because of COVID-19. And as KQED Politics reporter Katie Orr tells us, the legislators have a lot of catching up to do. There are more than 500 bills pending in the Senate and close to 200 in the Assembly. Lawmakers have until the end of August to act on what they can before they have to adjourn for the year. The final few weeks of session may look a bit different this year. Both the Assembly and Senate are allowing some form of remote voting to protect lawmakers who are more vulnerable to COVID-19. Governor Gavin Newsom says he'd like to work with lawmakers on paid sick leave and workers' compensation bills related to the coronavirus pandemic. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. A new study reports that Asian Americans are suffering financially in this economic crisis, and racism tied to COVID-19 plays a role. KPCC's Caroline Champlin explains. In January, I visited a San Gabriel restaurant called Tasty Dining, specializing in food from Wuhan. Back then, I talked to a waiter named Ming Chun, who said that business was cut in half. Everybody see the Wuhan restaurant, they scared. UCLA professor Paul Ong had also heard about this anti-Asian fear. That also seemed to translate it into an informal boycott. So Ong looked at the data and found that, yes, about 10 percent more Asian-owned businesses have closed compared with white-owned businesses. He found joblessness among Asians is also higher, especially in industries like hospitality and retail. It's where they work, how they work. But on top of that, it's also the anti-Asian-American sentiments. Ong's now looking at PPP loans, and he's noticed that Asian businesses are being left out there as well. For the California Report, I'm Caroline Champlin. When the coronavirus pandemic struck, more than 150,000 immigrants in California were applying to become U.S. citizens. Now, many of them may not become citizens in time to vote this November. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. 
Magdalena Olvera has dreamed of becoming a U.S. citizen for a long time. I don't feel fully integrated into U.S. politics and U.S. culture. You know, I don't have the power to vote. She was seven when her mom brought her from Mexico to live in the Bay Area. They were both undocumented. But her mom married a green card holder, and Olvera's stepdad sponsored them to become lawful permanent residents. And I just couldn't wait to become a citizen. Finally, last summer, Olvera applied to naturalize. As a legal assistant at an immigration law office, she says she's seen more clients rejected for asylum and other benefits under President Trump. So that's why I really wanted to become a citizen this year and vote against him. Olvera is one of more than 700,000 people who had pending applications back in March, at the beginning of the pandemic. That's when U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services closed offices to the public for nearly three months and canceled naturalization interviews. Earlier this year, it took the agency about eight months to decide petitions. Now... It can take up to 20 months at the USCIS office in San Francisco. I haven't been scheduled for an interview yet. I don't think that it might happen this year. I feel pretty angry, disempowered. As many as half a million immigrants nationwide could be shut out of voting in November because of the delays at USCIS, says Luis Decipio, a professor of political science at UC Irvine. That could impact the presidential election in battleground states like Florida, he says, and close congressional races in places like California's Central Valley. Where you have smaller electorates and adding a few thousand people one way or another to a group of potential voters uh, could really make a difference. Naturalization delays could get even worse if USCIS furloughs more than two-thirds of its staff, as officials say they'll do at the end of August, unless Congress provides a $1.2 billion bailout. The CPU says furloughs could mean immigrants will wait more than three years to be American citizens, and some who've played by the rules may never make it. I mean, that's criminal, really. It's violating the compact that we have with immigrants in U.S. society. A USCIS spokeswoman says since reopening in June, they've focused on rescheduling oath ceremonies for more than 100,000 immigrants already approved. But Magdalena Olvera is not there yet and says she won't feel secure until she becomes an American, especially under this administration. In past elections, Olvera volunteered at polling places. If I can't vote, I guess I could participate in other ways, which is by helping other people vote. She says that's her plan B this November. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. And in somewhat related news, this morning immigrant rights advocates have chained themselves to the door of Governor Gavin Newsom's home in Fair Oaks. Among their demands, the advocates want to stop the expansion of immigration detention centers in the state. More California cities are increasingly using the threat of fines as a way to get people to wear face coverings to slow the spread of the coronavirus. One of the first cities to implement a fine for not wearing a face covering was Manhattan Beach in L.A. County's South Bay area. There, a mass citation could cost you up to $350. Manhattan Beach Mayor Richard Montgomery told me the mounting toll of the pandemic left his small city no choice. We went from 17 cases in March and zero deaths to 238 cases and four deaths. I mean, that's how much in a big city like Los Angeles, but 35,000 people. And so four deaths to us is four too many. We've tried education for months. 
know, wear face covering. Please protect yourself, protect others, do the right thing, slow the spread, flatten the curve. And that amnesia seemed to spread to the South Bay. People stopped wearing the face coverings. And no matter how much education and science you put out there, they just stopped doing it. So we took it upon ourselves, our council, I made a proposal that said, look, let's enforce the idea of facial coverings. And can I assume that you aren't exactly thrilled that you've had to move forward with this whole idea for a citation uh, for people who aren't covering their faces? <laughs> well, look at the, the flip side of that is, don't we all want to have our schools reopen and our businesses be able to serve restaurants and in, in restaurant dining? Uh, and our stores, our mall open. Governor Newsom made it very clear to all the mayors, very clear, you need to take action on your side, be proactive on your side. And Mr. Mayor, can I assume when you're out and about in, in town and maybe going to the supermarket, you have a bunch of people who come up to you and say, hey, right on, this whole face covering fine idea is great, it's needed. But you must get a lot of people who are really angry and who feel, you know, finding people for not wearing a, a face covering is a violation of, of their freedoms. You're right. You hear, you hear both good and, you know, positive and negative comments. And one lady was telling me, you know, that the civil rights, and I go, ma'am, you said the Constitution gives you the right to not wear something you feel is appropriate? Yes. Show me where that is in the Constitution Bill of Rights, where your, your right to yourself outweighs the community good. Show me where that is. If you can find that for me, I will do a retraction in the paper and get on national TV and say I was wrong. I understand personal liberty part of it. You don't want to wear something the government's overreaching. But for the common good, I cannot find any excuse well, you would not help us and help yourself not spread a virus. And when this is all over, then they can Monday morning quarterback me and say all the mistakes I made and we made, what they would have done differently. But until then, my job, my job is to get us past this and get us to where the numbers decline. And then we look back and say, we did it as a community. We did it all together and go from there. All right. Richard Montgomery, mayor of Manhattan Beach. Thanks so much. You're welcome, sir. Take care of yourself. Call me anytime and let me know when you're going to be in town and we'll visit. And that's the California Report for Monday, July 27th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, acknowledging the vital work of local public health departments to keep Californians safe during the pandemic on the web at chcf.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems, and Personal Capital, offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools. Personalcapital.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel Fattah from Throughline. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.